Welcome to the Talking Minds podcast. My name is Marcus Matthews. I am a rapid transformational therapist, clinical hypnotherapist and coach. And this series, the Man Up series, I'm going to be speaking to some special guests to look at where men are now in society, where their position is in society and have they lost their purpose? There's lots of empowerment groups out there for many people. But are men being excluded? And can they really have a voice in society today? Join me on the Talking Minds podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Talking Minds podcast. It's Marcus Matthews with you again. Tracy's not with us. She can't make it onto this podcast. But I do have my very good friend, Ben Folder. Hello, Ben. Hi, Marcus. Thank you for having me along. It's great to be on your podcast and uh, having a chat about uh, all things interesting today. All things interesting. Yeah. So the reason why I got Ben on is I've known Ben for some time and I've learned a lot from him. And one of the things he introduced me to is integral theory. Um, and I'll get him to talk a little bit about that, but he's done a lot of work on um, integral relationships. And this whole Man Up series is is about those intricacies of our you know, our relationships with each other and the relationships in how we perceive each other and all of these dynamics that are going on at the moment between men and women and all just being human. So I want to kind of bring Ben in to give his perspective on this because I know he's done a lot of work on this. So Ben, you just want to introduce yourself, tell everybody who you are, because I know who you are, but other people listening don't. So if you want to tell everybody who you are, and then we'll we'll dive straight into it, because I'm really excited about this to see what uh, your thoughts are. Yeah, thanks, Marcus. I mean, it's always interesting to try and create a potted history of who I am as well, in that uh, I've been involved in and, and connecting into uh, various forms of natural and complementary health work for 30 years now in various ways, working in a professional context now for the, the last 18 years and uh, have been um, kind of founded uh, my clinic, Centre for Integral Health that you're a part of now, uh, and that'll be eight years uh, this coming August. So it, it's been a really interesting kind of period of time. And, and within that, I work as an integral practitioner and I use tools such as kinesiology, Bowen techniques, scar tissue release, Qigong, integral transpersonal psychology, integral theory, integral relationships work, uh, epigenetics and nutritional and dietary work. So I, I really try and, and look at at least the four basic dimensions that we find in integral theory that we can talk through a little bit in a little while. And I find that this is one of the most complete and useful models for being able to make sure that when we're looking at health, that we're covering all of the basic bases that, that people exist in on a daily basis, regardless of whether they know it or not. Yeah, and, and I think the thing that I love about this when you in, introduce me to it is that you've got all that, but it's not just kind of linear and flat, it's kind of multi-dimensional and moves in various different ways. So you're never, you've never got it. <laughs> you're always moving in one direction or the other in each area. So there is a constant workflow and there is no, as we always say, there's no right, there's no wrong, you are where you are now, but it will change yeah, tomorrow. Sure. Um, and I think and that's what I want to try and get across in this podcast is about the fact that we, we've seen as this linear path that this is what the world looks like and this is who we should be. Yeah, yeah. 
and we don't give ourselves a break. <laughs> and, and yet, you know, from an integral point of view, what we do is we consider that all of our, our worldviews, all of our ways of looking at life, all of our ways of experiencing life are whole within themselves, but they're partial to other wholes. And, and some perspectives have more depth and more breadth to them than others. And quite often what we're doing is where we're moving through stages of development that become increasingly complex as we go along. And within that, each time we move up a level, we, we transcend those limitations that we had in our previous stage of development. We include all of the useful stuff with us. And then we enter into a new perspective that has new possibilities, new considerations, but also its own new limitations. Uh, definitely. And one of the things that I, obviously, when I'm working with clients is, you know, self-esteem, confidence, and anxiety are, are a big thing. And a lot of the things that people are looking for when we look at these relationships, when we look at self, <clears throat> are actually based on things that are outside of our control. So affection, approval, appreciation, being accepted, being acknowledged, and actually, that's quite a tough thing to go, actually, I'm going to be responsible. And actually, that's me. And I'm not going to push that out on other people. So that kind of segues really into the main theme of this podcast, which is about this change of dynamic in regards to how we're showing up in the world. You know, we've had back in the day, we've always had this traditional structure of man is alpha on top, woman in kitchen, that kind of stuff. Now that's completely changed now, which it should do, and absolutely. But that dynamic's now shifting, where we've still got this these old subconscious feelings and thoughts of this is what a man looks like, this is what a woman looks like. But societies tell us, no, if you're a woman now, this is who you are, and if you're a man, this is who you are. So we're all completely screwed up. <laughs> but men, in particular, are very we're we're those lone lions, aren't we? We're not we haven't got our tribe. So where women will gather together to support, we tend not to have that. So can we, can we go on to the Shadow King thing, if, if that's okay? Yeah, we can. Unless before, you want to say about something else. Before we get else. to that, because I know you're excited about that one, and, and you know, I'm glad you're excited about that. But to, just to address a little bit that idea of this, these traditional values, I, I don't think we, we really have a concept of the timescales that are involved within this and why there are some of these divisions. And if we, we look back to at least 100,000 years ago, where, when we have early survival bands, groups of people coming together, we, we have natural divisions in our roles based on the characteristics that are present within each sex. So, you know, many of us will appreciate that in a hunter-gatherer society, the stronger percentile of the group would have been the hunters, and the weaker percentile of the group were more likely the gatherers. And, you know, we can look back historically and think that, that, that this was patriarchal society, but actually the, there's plenty of evidence to suggest that some cultures were, were what we would class as uh, uh, patrifocal in that they were more geared towards masculine values. Some were matrifocal in that they were more geared towards feminine values, and some had a balance between the two. Uh, and so it was, it was never just cut and dried. And uh, as time and space have evolved within human beings, so have we. So for the 90,000 years that we were predominantly hunter-gatherers, the majority of men are, are hunting and they're out sitting on hillsides or hiding in forests or waiting in plains 
for game to come by. So they spend a lot of time in silence. They spend a lot of time in stillness. So they just don't develop language skills in the same way that, that females do. And they develop uh, long range vision that's better at uh, gauging size and speed and movement uh, because they need to do that for hunting. Whereas the females predominantly who are gathering, they develop better peripheral vision because they're looking around more and they develop more language, partly because they're in a social situation where they don't need to be quiet. And secondly, because the noise also helps to keep predators away. So typically females are using about three times as much language and have you know, more language development than males. And that's one of the reasons why within languages, you, you know, especially within things like interpretation, you tend to have a predominance with females. In activities that take spatial awareness, you tend to have a predominance in males. And, and that's just the architecture at a physical level. But as we move through culture and move on, we get to a point where we go from hunter-gatherer into early horticultural stages using digging sticks and hoes. Now, at that point, we're still hunting, we're still gathering, and you know, male-female roles stay, stay very similar. Um, when we move into our agrarian stages around 10,000 years ago, when we started really farming and we brought beasts in to start working with us, one of the, the factors of working with heavy beasts is it actually increased the miscarriage rate. So part of what happens is less women work in farming because it's there to ensure that there's more likelihood of successful childbirth. So roles start to change. And because at that stage, we don't need as many men to do the work. That's also where we start to develop other aspects that uh, such as art, culture, politics, philosophy, religions, they all start to emerge around a similar time period because of, of those changes in uh, the environment and, and how we're interacting in it. So we've been going through these changes for tens of thousands of years continually, and we're now into a new phase of that. You know, and with the stages of development that consciousness goes through, we, we do get into increasingly complex societies that, that have different rules and roles. And we're moving through such a, a phase now where thankfully we're also seeing some of the pathological aspects of, of our previous levels are being addressed, resolved, spoken about. And, and we need to, in some ways, look at this over larger time scales. You know, this is transitional period that might go on for two, three, four, five hundred years or more. You know, it's not about what we can do in three, five, 10, 50 years. You know, the, these roles have been so deeply embedded that it's going to take time and there's going to be some, uh, you know, dead ends and blind alleyways and, and other areas where it doesn't work out. But it is all part of that evolution of humans as a race, as the, the culture and the environment develop and change. And it's interesting because you say about communication. One of the things that I picked up on there, and I've never really thought about this, but um, I've been looking around ADHD and stuff like that, and that hunter-gatherer and that silence and that lack of communication. And, and you can see a direct correlation because ADHD is very much now being called it's the hunter or the farmer, that the ADHD actually is not, it's not a disorder. It's actually just a, a, an old mind in which we had, which we needed. It works, hyper-focus, all that sort of stuff. It, it's it linked with the hunter you know, even though females do have ADHD, it's normally prevalent. And that's a big conversation at the moment. And all of that stuff that you said makes perfect sense. You know, and I, I, always, I always say this, and, and I've said it before on the podcast, you know, why is it that women go to the toilet together? Well, it's because in 
back in the day when we were in the forest, if you went on your own, you might get ambushed. So go in a group and you're safe. And we're not aware of the subconscious program that's gone on for millennia. Um, and because we want information, we want transformation, we want it quick, we want it now. We're thinking, right, well, we're going to just change the world in 30 years. It's taken, like you said, 10,000 years just to get to where we are now. And, and then all of a sudden we're going, well, I want this and it's your fault and it's yesterday <laughs> and it's all changing now. And that's why both men and women are so confused. Yeah. So I want to get onto this because just to let everybody know, Ben just mentioned a book, which I'm going to get, but it's called The Shadow King. So I think that segues quite nicely into sure. these perceptions. So do you want to just tell us a little bit about what you're yeah, telling sure. me? You know, because I've been I've been interested in masculine feminine dynamics for for a number of years, um, partly just because from a historical basis, I uh, am a child of a broken home, if you want to class it as such my my mother and father separated when I was two years old. And that was something that came about because of uh, domestic violence within the home. And so so my own platforms for how I dealt with relationships were, were based very much on being the youngest of three boys being raised by a mother that you know my, my brothers are six and eight years older than me so their experiences their perceptions were different than mine because they experienced things in a different way and and it formed a very particular view of relationships which you know I'm still unpeeling and I'm still unpacking and I'm still dealing with some of those aspects you know it, it really is the old adage as as you chop the top off the iceberg more raises up uh, and there is a lot more that that it's only in specific situations and only with specific dynamics that I'm really seeing coming up and you know I mean I can talk about a lot of the the teachers that have really impacted me in in relationship dynamics but there was a really key piece of work uh, written by uh, a lady called Sidra Stone and her and her husband, Hal, were the originators of the voice dialogue system of being able to talk to parts of the self. Uh, and that was then uh, taken on board and, uh, and developed by my Zen teacher, Genpo Roshi, uh, who uses it within the big mind process within his Zen practice. And um, Sidra wrote this beautiful book called The Shadow King. Now, as a female, who was doing a lot of workshops for females, looking at the voices that created limitations for them and the kinds of dialogues that they were having with themselves, which is you know, something that you're, you're really aware of. She found that women were often referring to men and the patriarchy in a way that was disembodied. So she realized that there was a voice of patriarchy that existed and that could be the voice of men or the voice of our man the voice of the patriarchy which existed inside the minds of females that were females dressed up as the patriarchy telling themselves where they were limited so they were actually creating their own limitations believing that it was men that were imposing those limitations on them but really it was a voice and they would have picked up these subtle cues through their upbringing from society so it's all these memes as subconscious messages that then build up into its own structure within the mind and then we use that mind to define the patriarchy 
Now, equally, there is a voice of the matriarchy that exists, you know, because this isn't just in the in the minds of females. So as a male, I have both the voice of the patriarchy and the voice of the matriarchy, and they have their own rules and they have their own beliefs, and they inform me about right and wrong action according to their rules and beliefs. Yeah. But it, it's a concept. It's not something real. So essentially, we end up telling ourselves what we think we can and can't do, but then displacing it into the voice of something that we think we have no control over. Yeah, and this is, it's really interesting. And this is why I think the integral stuff is kind of layers onto that, because what I, we said just before we started the podcast, is what I've noticed is that there's people are at different evolutions. So if we talk about women, when I've had open conversations, as a man, this is how I feel. This is my perception and they go, yeah, I get that. And one of my, actually, one of my coaches, Danita DeZeus, who um, works with Lisa Nichols, we were talking about this and she said, she gets it. She works with a lot of men and she's done a lot of work on this herself. And she said, excuse my French, it's shit being a man at the moment. <laughs> That's good for a woman. She said, she said, we've got everything that society and, and you know, social media is saying that men are bad. Or, but but there are women who go well, no men aren't bad because they've had a good so, so what you're telling me that I need to feel this and and it's all of these old hurts and it's all of mm -hmm. these things that many people aren't aware are subconscious you know and we're looking to go I feel this therefore it must be something outside of me that's the problem yeah. and that's why I think this is really really important to have these conversations to say well where is that why is that there where does that come from where is the truth in, in what I'm saying, because when I speak to some men and women, when they have these, when I have these conversations, I go, okay, where is the truth in that? Show me the, where is the evidence? And if there is evidence, they go, it's back there. You know, it's 20 years ago, mm -hmm. you know, and we've had, I've had these conversations about the police, you know, you, you know, I was in the police and people go, the police are all bullies. And da, da, da. okay, where's the evidence? In 1984, it's, we're not in the 80s anymore. You, there's a different point of reference, but People, when you ask them that question, go, oh, wait a minute. My point of reference is, but oh, it must be true because it's in my past. Yeah. But I'm holding on to that. You know? And of course, that is absolutely legitimate as well. Mm. There, there is so much abuse that so many women have suffered at the hands of so many men. Absolutely. I also fully understand that, you know, when, when you're faced with uh, an archetype that, you know, any man is a man, any woman is a woman. And, and so there's a response within that. And, and I think one of the really interesting things that highlights that, there was a brilliant film made a few years ago called The Red Pill. Made still not by, seen this. You keep telling me about it's this. It's an amazing film it. made by uh, a young female American filmmaker called Cassie J. It's available on all the usual channels. And uh, she, at the time, wanted to take a look at, uh, and try and do an expose on rape culture and try and understand what was going on with that. And there are some, you know, some really crazy places on the internet regarding this. And, and so she, at the beginning of the film, defines herself as a feminist uh, because that's how she'd been raised. And, and she'd experienced a lot of the misogyny within Hollywood as a young actress and, and ultimately left acting because of that and decided to move into filmmaking. Now, some of the, you know, within the film, she interviews a lot of very interesting people on both sides. 
And one of the things that she beautifully highlights in there is that, you know, in, in the UK, one of the first women's refuges that was opened way back in the 70s, the lady who developed that also started very quickly highlighting that women were as bad as men and men were suffering almost as much domestic abuse at the hands of women as they were from men. And she tried to open a men's refuge and was receiving death threats, you know, was really shouted down by women that men don't need this. And even at the time of the film's release, uh, the, the Red Pills film's release, which I think is 2016, 2017, there were over 250 women's refuges in America, but only two for men. You know, if you look at the thousands of beds that are available in women's refuges in the UK for women, there are still only about 20 for men for domestic abuse. And, and those characters who were involved in supporting that side of, of um, domestic abuse for men are, are often um, kind of uh, cast out from, from certain feminist circles because it can't be true. Uh, you know, and they, they have this beautiful collective name of the, the honey badgers. They're the, they're the women that can understand that, you know, men are suffering too. And we don't realize, although we know it's one in three women are experiencing domestic abuse at home, we don't realize that there's one in four men are. So it's not a massive difference. And uh, I wonder, it's, I, I wonder, I just want to go back to what we talked about before when we talked about our skill sets. And that I'm just, I've got this image of this kind of hunter on a hill looking over a plane in silence and didn't, not needing these communication skills. And I wonder whether, like most mental health, when we look at physical health, when we've got a tangible break in a leg, a tangible break, I can see that I can fix it. Mental health, I can't see it, therefore it mustn't exist. And, and maybe this is really hit home with me, is that when, I'm going to use the word abuse, but I'm going to use that loosely, is that we, we, we look maybe at domestic violence very much as, yes, there is verbal abuse, there is mental abuse, but often it's physical abuse. There's bruises, there's that power imbalance in regards to physical power. However, you know, one of the things as a man is that m many women don't physically overpower men, but they do mentally and from a communication point of view, overpower men and I can say that personally myself is that you know the amount of conversation that you know the silent treatment I'm going to be all thingy now but we know as as men and women we have the silent treatment there's enough memes out there about how women can control men and you know there's there's phrases that women use that mean the opposite and as men we're very literal it's like just tell me what it is you want I don't want to play the games but actually taking that historically that communication we don't have that, you know, and often women don't get that fact that we just, we just don't get it. It's like, tell us as it is, we just don't get it. And actually that side of abuse, and you know, you know my background and, and you know, about suicide and stuff, that was, it was the mental game for me. It was, this is what I believed people thought. I wasn't good enough. I wasn't providing where I should do as a man. I wasn't doing my hunter-gatherer role in society as society defines it. So often, you know, we don't do, is there much work going on about mental abuse around domestic violence and stuff? Probably not, because it's not tangible, is it? It's very difficult 
to see what's going on. You know? I mean, you and I both know that the, the stigma towards mental health and for men to be able to break through that it is an ongoing and interesting piece of work. And I agree that the mental health side of it is part of it. But what I don't think is acknowledged readily enough is the fact that there are a lot of what I would class as beta males who are potentially physically and mentally weaker than the female counterparts mm. they end up with. And it's surprising how much physical abuse. There's actually a really interesting case that's just concluded in America where uh, a woman in her 20s came home to her partner uh, and at machete point holding a machete to his neck, forced him to have sex with her. And it went to court and she was convicted, but they wouldn't convict her of rape, even though essentially it was rape. So, you know, there's a surprise. Yeah. Well, that is very interesting because the definition, sex, uh, section one of the Sexual Offences Act, interestingly enough, rape can only happen by a man. It, there, there needs to be a penis involved technically yes. or it's, yes, an it's an insertion um so yes theoretically you could do it you know with you know a dildo or you there's going to be a penetration but 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 by in most cases it is a physical act by a man man so straight away it's it's down to section two of the act so even within our laws you know it, it can't it can't happen obviously a man can rape another man but he's got yep. but you know, and, and so when we look at this fact about, you know, I don't like to use the word equality, but you can never have equality, really. You can have equality in regards to the true nature of what equality is, is opening opportunities for everybody. That is equality, but you'll never have, you know, there's a massive debate on this and we won't go down that with transgender and sport and all the rest of it. We're not even gonna go there. That's a whole <laughs> different topic. Yeah. For me, it's the psychological aspect of it. Um, so we talked about men. I'm really interested now just to flip it over to women and, mm -hmm. and the fact that there, a lot of women now feel there's a new dynamic of what a woman is. And there's mm -hmm. a lot of, it's as if women have taken this task on because they go, oh, well, now I'm the homemaker. Now I've got to do this and I've got to get a job and I've got to do, and you men need to do more about it. So women have taken these responsibilities on and, and, and blaming men again, not all. Um, and I'd, I'd, I'd love to know, you know, your thoughts on that in regards to where that maybe that's come from, because I think that's a big thing for women. Yeah, I mean, again, I think it's a, a very nuanced situation. And, and within this, you know, I can only share a, an opinion that comes from a, a certain perspective. But one of the things uh, that we could talk about is that in stages of consciousness development, and we could use something like spiral dynamics or integral theory to kind of back this up, there, there is the rational worldview, which, which emerged essentially from the Renaissance Industrial Revolution and onwards, where we moved into very science and materialistic types of, of thinking. And in a lot of ways, that was a very masculine orientated kind of process. Now, about kind of 150 years ago, we, we start to move more into what's known as the postmodernistic or pluralistic worldview. And within this, we start to have a much greater awareness of equal rights for people. And that includes things like equal rights for women, equal rights for people of, of different cultures, different uh, 
uh, creeds, different skin colors and so on, ethnic backgrounds. Uh, we, we start to see the first uh, edgings of our eco-awareness of how we have this impact on the world. And, and it created a really interesting shift because as we started to create other opportunities for females to be able to have their fair expression into, let's say, science, research, the workplace, you know, they were very male dominated uh, places. So in a lot of cases, females had to take on very male characteristics to be able to survive. And it, and it was either you, you had to, you know, kind of masculinize or you had man to be up. quiet. <laughs> yeah, you had to man up or you had to be quiet. And, and so, you know, I mean, you've only got to look at, um, at science and research and the nature of how difficult it was for women, you know, from the 50s, 60s onwards, and, and even today to be able to get research grants, to be able to get publication and so on. And so that that's created this harder competitive edge within a lot of females to try and find equal footing so you know and i think it's a very challenging time we're still in a lot of transition for that where where men who you know as you've already kind of highlighted are maybe afraid that they don't have a role anymore to to be able to allow that within females without losing their sense of value and purpose within that and and what it's created is a very interesting dynamic because within a relationship there will be a masculine feminine dynamic but whoever is in the masculine the other person can only really be in the feminine mm. if they're not they have to dominate the situation to be able to be more masculine, at which place the other person will become more feminine. So what we're actually seeing is as women are experiencing this masculine side of themselves in a new way, and they're exploring that and experiencing that, which has both healthy and unhealthy aspects to it, in my opinion, we're seeing men transition into the feminine. So, and this is where some of our trans culture is, uh, is being more open within the world. Uh, this is also where men are starting to open to feelings. They're starting to change their sense of behavior where they become much more ambiguous, much less clear, much maybe, maybe. And, and that is as irritating as hell to yeah. masculine females because it's not clear where we're coming from. And, and we also don't know because we're only just starting to explore this. And in my own journey, trying to find that balance of retaining my overt masculinity, because there's no doubt I am overtly masculine in comparison to the majority of females, um, you know, so where, where's my balance of that? And where's my balance within my own femininity? So I can have compassion, I can feel softness, I can emote, I can be in all those spaces. And I can balance that in a healthy way, recognize my unconscious and my toxic and unhealthy aspects, and healthily work to transform those. Mm. And I think the important thing that we need to look at here is to take it away from the physical. Um, you know, maybe women aren't aware that they are both male and female. Maybe men aren't aware that they're both male and female. It's not a physical condition. And often that's the way it's portrayed. You're a man. You look like this. You are a man. This is your, you've got the physical appendages and all that. You are a man. Therefore you are. 
you are a female, therefore you are. But it's actually, it's not about the physicality of masculinity or femininity. It's, it's zero to do with that. And I think that's what a lot of people dwell on, maybe. I don't know. I mean, I think there, there, is, there is both aspects to it. There, there is, because again, if we go from integral theory, we have the, the first two sides of our quadrants are the subjective and the objective. In the subjective, it's mind and culture. So within that, we're creating new mental structures and new cultural structures that represent that fluidity within that. And, and again, this is where we go into uh, kind of gender politics in, in a way in that I can identify with aspects of myself that are not necessarily to do with my sex. But we can also look at the fact that there are changes in what we're able to do with our bodies that, you know, for instance, you, you look at female bodybuilders and, and people that are competing at very elite levels of sport, they're way stronger than I am, you know, they're much more uh, kind of physically apt than I am, uh, and, and you'll have men who, uh, you know, maybe look better in a dress you know, because their physical shape and so on. So it, I don't think any of it is fixed. I think the challenge we have is in allowing people choice and that being okay for people to choose whatever feels appropriate for them without us uh, being judgmental and without us ostracizing people who don't want to hold the same worldview as us. And as long as everything is consensual and nobody's directly harming anybody else, why why shouldn't we do those things well i think it's about opening up conversations because one of the things one of my coaches danita was 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 talking about this on something and and it was interesting that when she got into a relationship with a, a, a former partner um she she felt that she needed to she wanted to look after him she did that by choice so she would cook and she would clean as the relationship got on one day he came over and just said to her you know oh what's for tea tonight and she didn't like cooking. <laughs> she did it out of love. She did it out of the fact that she did it because of that. However, she had the emotional awareness. Instead of going, who the F do you think you are? She went, oh, sorry. I've just realized what I've done. So she she took that on, because she's a coach. She took that on and went, oh my God, I've, I've created this situation. And now he said something that has triggered me as if you're the little wife in the kitchen, but actually I've created that. And all she said was this, she went, oh my God, I'm really sorry. I actually don't like cooking. I've been doing this because I love you. I'm taking, you know, taking care of you. I actually hate cooking. So I just want to tell you that. And he went, oh my God, I thought you liked cooking. And that's why I just asked that question. Okay, let's go out. Let's go out and eat. So yeah. what, that, what then happened is they opened a communication channel to say, okay, you don't like doing that. Let's share when I'll cook on on Monday and Tuesday. You can go, and then we'll go out on a Friday, whatever. But they opened that communication because there was an assumption because that was a traditional role, um, and they're from an African Caribbean background as well. So it's kind of you know a matriarchal, you know, mother who creates all that food and it's all amazing and yummy. But you know she wasn't of that ilk and kind of went, no, 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 that's not me. That's not what I do. And that's what I think that we all need to be able to do. And I've I've certainly had this difficult conversation, you know, with my own wife. I won't go into details because Michelle will kill me. 
And there we go, straight away, you know. <laughs> um, but but what I what I'd said was that Michelle reacted to something that I said, and I went, no, 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 this isn't about you. This is about me processing my emotional reactions to something that you've done. And I've mentioned this before that Michelle uses this against me quite a lot now. If I say you made me feel, she'll go, actually, you know that's not the case because only you can make yourself feel that way. And it becomes a joke now, but it's building those relationships. So and that wanna... really highlights nicely as well the you know that example from uh, your your coach there that there are actually so many a expectations within relationships that come from our, our own family cultural developments mm -hmm. and there are so many unspoken rules and conversations that take place in relationships because we assume that the other person is going to agree with those unspoken and often unrealized rules that we have about how relationships are going to play out and unless we are able to say what are your views on this? What are your views on this? How do you feel about this? Which, let's face it, are very functional discussions in some way. They're not exactly sexy when you're getting no. <laughs> into a new relationship to, to have some of those discussions. Uh, and yet my integral relationships teacher, Martin Uchik, you know, that's exactly what he does in early stages of relationships, is that he wants to understand what the communication style is, what their level of development is where they are in their spiritual development, their sexual development, their anima animus complex, their personality types, their attachment styles, their life purpose, all of these different bits that are part of that essential elements within a healthy relationship, you know, and, and how once we have those conversations, it's much easier to work out the functional fit. And, and a lot of the time, we're, we're so engaged essentially with what I would class as a Cinderella level relationship is that somebody that meets our primary sexual fantasy is interested in us and we think that that's it. Yeah. We don't, you know, it's happily ever after. We don't and, have to do I, anything else. And I think it's a little bit like, I, lo I love this analogy. I started using this myself, but it's a little bit, if you imagine your life or your relationships, you can, you can put it as finite as you want. But if you imagine that you've gone on a journey to where you are now and imagine that where you are now is a shopping mall, a, sh a shopping center, and, and you, you're looking for this or you're looking for that shop. When you go into a, one of those big malls, what do you do? You look for the sign that says you are here. But often we don't do that. We don't go, right, this is where I am now. You know, where are you now? How do we meet to get to that? How do we go on that journey together? So. Do you want to just tell us a little bit more about the, the integral relationship stuff and what you do and, and how that, because I think people will, I think what we need to do is, is allow people to, if you're going to give them advice on, okay, you're having these stories in your head, male or female, okay, and you're going, I love my partner or I'm in this situation, but I don't really seem to be able to have those conversations, you know, taking what you know from this integral relationship stuff, what would your advice be to, to somebody starting that journey? How would they open those conversations? What could they do right now? I mean, from, from that point of view, I think one of the first things that needs to, to be agreed on is that the two of you are willing to look at things that are uncomfortable. Mm. You know, and I, I think in too many situations, and this is not just in intimate relationships, but in relationships in general, we avoid discomfort because yeah. we think that it means that there is something 
critically wrong and terminally wrong within a space. And yet these might just be things that we, we've never explored within ourselves before. So even to develop a communication model of how to speak to each other so that you're able to start having the challenging conversations. And, and that also for me involves arranging that to agree to do that. So, you know, it's not always a good time to have a conversation. And I remember uh, reading a book many, many years ago, only a little tiny thing called The Gift of Therapy. And one of the chapters in it was uh, entitled Strike When the Iron is Cold. You know, mm. sometimes it's better to just sit back, let something settle, and then make an arrangement to have a discussion about something. So both people are prepared to meet in a space to talk about a thing. And, and I think that the second thing is that relationships are complex. There are, there are multi kind of dimensional aspects to them. And, you know, within Martin Uchik's integral relationships work, there are 14 essential elements within a relationship. And if we're not, you know, we don't need to be at the same level or in the same place with all of them but it is helpful to understand where we are, you know, like how many of us know what our partner's love language is, mm. you know, which is, is in my mind quite essential mm. because if your love language is words of affirmation, you want me to tell you that I love you and that you look good and I really appreciate you. <laughs> I do. <laughs> but my love language is quality time or gifts you know, every time that you're telling me that you love me, but not giving me a gift, I'm confused. Every mm. time I'm giving you a gift, but not saying that I love you, you're confused because we don't understand, you know, and for me, Christmases and birthdays are a perfect example of this. How often does your partner get you something that isn't really what you want, but you can understand how they like it? You yeah. know, be, because we're coming from perhaps different love languages. So being able to even understand some of these things, you know, are you an, are you a, um, an anxiously attached person as an attachment style? So, you know, when we understand these different aspects of ourselves, it's much easier to understand somebody's behavior. And, you know, even if you know that somebody is, is coming from uh, a more masculine point of view, but their sexual development is still maybe limited to only fucking and the, they see the opposite sex as something to be feared, yeah. you know, all of which are different types of, of aspects. Yeah. You know, it can make a big difference as to the types of relationships we have. So by understanding and exploring these different elements within a relationship with each other, you know, we, we actually have much more intimate and much deeper relationships because we understand each other at completely different levels. And, you know, hands up, I'm still working through all of that. We all are. You know, <laughs> we still, all are. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, so myself and my partner, we're still working through uh, areas that have either been unconscious for us or have been difficult for us 
and we're in the moments where it's right to we're fostering and nurturing development and change in there and and so sometimes that means that we still clash and we still act unconsciously and we can still upset each other but we're much more prepared to to step back let the dust settle tune into what's going on for ourselves come back together have the discussions take the learning and move forward with it which ultimately that's every relationship yeah. you know we we need to drop the old cinderella ideas we need to drop the rom-com ideas that you know I, I mean again it's one of the things i love about rom-coms you you can almost to a t take every rom-com you know two people meet two people fall in love for some reason or, or feel each other then there's a conflict that separates them then they find a way to come back together and everything's fine yeah. again you know that's the nature, you know, more detail, but that's the nature of rom-coms. So, so we have to look at the memes that have educated us for relationships and consider, well, what's missing? If I have that image of a relationship and yet the relationships that I'm experiencing don't match up, where am I missing information that if I had it could allow me to create transformation, understanding, realization, you know, and I think we we really need in our modern age, which is the most complex living and life arrangement that human beings have ever seen. You know, we need to be aware that there are these multiple elements that all of which need to be in some frame of awareness. Yeah, and I think the other thing is, is our mind is always very, it always goes to the negative. And I think one of the things that's journaling for me is getting out of your head and putting it on paper is is the best way of doing it um and then looking for the evidence of where that's come from and also looking for the opposite you know we all know gratitude we've we've talked about this haven't we on on our uh, on the facebook thing with integral health but looking at you know if you've got a partner say say for example you know i'll i'll give you an exact example of this my wife amazing cook however the it looks like world war ii every pan is out it's all over the place and for me that's like oh it just winds me up now i could freak out about that but i recognize that that's happened and i automatically will go okay free you've had an amazing meal and this is just what's happened actually in the grand scheme of things it's not a big thing however what i what we've agreed to is i've said i am not going in there clearing that stuff up if it means we don't eat, I am not. So that kind of, you've got to have your non-negotiables. I think your non-negotiables are really important to go. This is what I love about you. And this is what I love about myself. And then, then you can just work on the non-negotiables. How can you work out, you know, it might be, okay, I will look at the washing up one because it's just a simple one. Okay. I know that you do the cooking um, and, and I, but I will only do the washing up three days out of the five because I can't do it every day. I can't cope with that every day. That's just a funny, it's a funny way of looking at it, but it's, it's then looking at your non-negotiables. And I think the other thing is, is that if your non-negotiables, and that's without, you know, being selfish, outweigh the love and the joy that that person brings into your life. And I don't mean just in a romantic relationships, that could be with a job. You know, for me, when I left the police, that was a relationship. I love that job. I, I you know, I miss it. But my non-negotiable was I can't ethically stay there because the values that have been driven home to me now are mismatched with what I've been told it was, you know, and that was a tough decision. But actually quitting something that you hate 
will lead to the thing that you want. Because when you know where you are, when you've got, I am here, and you can work that out. Now, we can do that because we've done the work on ourselves. But I think this is where working with people like yourself and the integral relationship courses and all that sort of stuff, this is where it, it it's worth that investment. If you're not happy, go and see a therapist, go and see somebody who knows about this. Even if it's, you know, you deal with that in a relationship context, I work with it from the subconscious level. And that's why we've worked on this stuff. You know, it's, we're not perfect. Like you say, we're still working on it. It's not about the, the technicalities. It's actually about the awareness in the first place. Because if you're not aware of it and you don't know where you are, then you can't go anywhere, can you? <laughs> you know, and that's, that's the big thing. And an easy way for me of framing that is, is the juice worth the squeeze? Mm. You know, so is, is what you're gaining from a relationship in a healthy way worth the time and the energy within it? And, and although, you know, I understand that the negotiables and the non-negotiables from a conventional relationship point of view, I would also say that we have this, this is how it is, except when it isn't. Mm. And, and that I need this to be like this, except on the occasions where I don't. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's also a way of, of kind of being aware that nothing is set in stone actually you know there's ebb and flow within a space and then it's what's significant about those things to me that I can't let go of you know and I, I mean one of the things that, that I kind of rationalized for myself quite a long time ago in relationships is you know if there's something about your your that your partner does that that gets on your noggin then just remember that that's not their problem no, yeah, absolutely. Like and this is when I say non-negotiables, that's kind of what I'm saying is what's your non-negotiables and how are you taking responsibility and daring greatly to either accept that that's yours and go, mm -hmm. is it worth me just living with that? Or yep. daring greatly and having that conversation. And like you say, striking while the iron's cold and the writing down can often be, mm. listen, this is how I'm feeling and this is my perception of how I think you will react if I say this, is it a truth? Because I found that pretty much, I'm gonna say 100% of the time, every time I've had this conversation is, oh, no, 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 that's not my thought. <laughs> that's not my thought, that wasn't what I was thinking. <laughs> and why is it non-negotiable? What, what, where does that come from? Where does that basis come from? You know, and I mean, I, I always used to use the the kind of analogy, you know, if you get pissed off by your, your partner, like leaving their underwear on the floor or, you know, not tidying up about themselves, you've got two really easy or three really easy things you can do. You can ignore it because it ain't about you. Yeah. You can just pick the stuff up and put it somewhere out the way so it doesn't bother you. Or you can talk to the person and say to them, this is something that impacts me. I'm wondering if we could work with that. Yeah. So, so that there's... There's ownership within it, and there is a reasonable request about change without trying to make it somebody else's responsibility. Absolutely, yeah, and that's it. When you when you take responsibility, you're able to respond, aren't you? So we've been going. We could talk forever. Um, Always. <laughs> I just wanted to ask one, two last questions. That's all. They're quick ones. So if anybody's listening to this, male or female, and they are in that position where they're going, okay, I've heard that about responsibility, but I'm still triggered. I'm not sure where it comes from. You know, I liked what Ben was saying. Um, 
what is it that you can offer as part of your services and what you do? Um, what is it that you've got that can help people get these realizations um, in regards to finding self and taking responsibility and ownership? Yeah, well, as I have been for, for quite a while now, and although uh, formally it was only 2020 that I uh, received the qualification and training for this, but um, I can work with you on that integral relationships model. We can, you know, either online or in person, we can explore that and I can work with singles and couples with that. And it doesn't matter what sexual orientation or gender that is or uh, ethnic background at all. You know, we, we look at where people are struggling and explore that from a point of view of here's some theory around that. Here's a practice that you can go and do to explore that either on your own or with your partner. And let's explore why those tensions are in there. And, you know, again, we come back to is the juice worth the squeeze? Do you do you want to be in this relationship enough that you're prepared to explore your discomfort and you're prepared to explore discomfort that your partner might have around your behavior and your attitudes and your beliefs and your expectations on them? Because we, we often all right, in my experience, often people want their partner to make the change, yes. you know, which of course is the easy way. It is much easy way. The yeah, it's easy to blame, isn't it? Me and I didn't yeah. have to do anything. But, but really, we, we need to face those uncomfortable bits about maybe I'm the problem. <laughs> you know, maybe I'm yeah. the one that's got unrealistic expectations of my partner and I'm, you know, bitching at them because I'm not getting what I want, but we've never had the discussion about whether or not that's reasonable. I think the, I think the uncomfortable truth that I certainly came to was, and I still say this now, when things are going wrong, I am the problem. Mm-hmm. It's as simple as that. But the beauty of this is that sounds negative. It's like, I'm the problem. How I'm not taking responsibility of this out there. I'm the problem. But because you're the problem, you're also the solution. So you have, and, and that is the beauty of that. But what the only difference is, is that maybe you don't have the knowledge or know how to navigate through that. And that's why we're working to make yourself, working with myself. And, you know, we've got lots of practitioners at the uh, Integral Health that can help with that, that yeah. sort of thing. And I think it's also important to say that it's not just about relationships or partnerships within the home or the family. You know, yeah. when we talk about that, it is a very holistic, that's a partner, that's relationships at work. That's relationships Absolutely. with family. So it, it's a lot more, you know, expansive than that. So and that's what I like about that yeah. integral relationships model is that we can understand where the conflict, where the challenge is in the relationship and look at that element, you know, in isolation, but also broaden it out to realize that there, there can be other bits in there. And, and, you know, what you were saying reminded me of the, the meme that's often been linked up to a, a Jack Sparrow photo is, is that the problem is not the problem. Uh, the problem is you're thinking about the problem. Yeah, yeah, it is. And, that, and, and that's it. And every habit of action is driven by a habit of thought. So most of the time, actually, the problem is never the thing. The problem is the thought of the thing or your perception thinking about the problem about the thing. Anyway, brilliant. Last <laughs> thing. So... We always have on here a kind of a go-to quote, but we'll make this kind of, I want to make this about men because it is called the man up thing. So if you're a man and you know, you're going, I, I just don't know where I am in the world. I don't know my purpose. I don't know what I'm doing. Is there a, a 
quo or is there a bit of advice that you can give to that person listening now or even a partner or a sister of somebody who knows that they're feeling that way is, is what, what advice or quote would you give that would make that person make that step to go ah oh, let's yeah. think differently uh, I'm going to take this from work done by David Dada, who is one of my favorite relationship coaches. Uh, and he, again, looks very much at an integral level uh, and a very integrated practice. And he talks a lot about masculine, feminine polarities and the difference between what each person and that they're not gender defined, they, they, their capacities within anybody. And, you know, the overtly feminine are, are more interested in fullness and fullness in love and we may find that uh, in in mediocre ways such as eating conversation and shopping you know because they're a, a way of filling up but it really it's fullness in love the masculine on the other hand is seeking freedom and it's freedom from burdens and often the masculine trope is that if I could just get that done, then I would feel free. Yeah. And the problem is there is never a point where there is enough stuff done where you're feeling free. So David Dada's advice within this is that for the masculine, you've got to realize that you're never more free than you are in this exact moment now. Absolutely. And if you can accept that, then you have much greater choice a much greater possibility about how you live your life. Yeah, absolutely. And it's called the present because it's a gift. Simple as that. Beautiful. And I think on that one, um, we'll say thank you very much, Ben. That was amazing. I'm going to have to My get pleasure. you on the podcast again because I know it's always of these interesting conversations. And if we carried thank on, we would go on for a couple of hours. But thank you very much. Um, if anybody's um, enjoyed this, um, have a look in the uh, show notes for this podcast. Um, you can get in touch with Ben. We'll put all this stuff in there. He's got lots of courses. And I'm not going to say this on the podcast live. I did his shadow and ego um, course, which I know you're now going to be putting that as an online course, aren't you? Yeah, um, And for me, for me, if you want to understand that voice in your head and you want to understand all of this stuff, that is a perfect start, you know, because it's all linked to the ego and the shadow and all that good stuff by Carl Jung and all the rest of it. So thank you very much, Ben. And um, yeah, Thanks we'll probably get you on again. Um, but yeah, amazing stuff. So thank you very much. Goodbye, everybody. Do you want to say goodbye, Ben? Thank you. Goodbye, Ben. Goodbye, Ben. If you enjoyed today's podcast, why don't you come and join us at facebook.com forward slash talking underscore minds. And don't forget to give us a little like. Thanks very much for listening. See you soon.